Good morning. We are in for a treat today. Uh, Randy and Julie Garris from Joplin, Missouri are with us today. They're going to be sharing in both services. I encourage you to uh, plan to stay for both services today as the uh, what is presented in the second service will be different than what's presented in this service. Uh, Randy and Julie are a ministry couple that I have looked up to and appreciated uh, for for so many years. Randy uh, has been the minister at the College Heights Christian Church in Joplin uh, for 33 years. And, uh, and then just a couple of years ago, uh, they left that ministry and were hired by Ozark Christian College to do ministry to the college students there. And they are just a wonderful resource. Both of them uh, together work there, uh, just being available for the students there on campus to help them in their personal lives and their uh, relationships with with uh, spouses, their their ministries, whatever needs those students have, this is a couple that they can feel free to come to, and they're going to get help from this couple. Uh, would you welcome Randy and Julie Garris, please? Hello. I guess I get to be the one to start. Um, thank you, Kevin, for nice words. He said it was going to be treat that we were here. Randy leaned over to me and said, trick or treat. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, please know when we start, um, we are not coming as experts. We're not coming as know-it-alls. We have had 40 years of marriage. We have listened to a lot of, of uh, problems through marriage. So we've gotten, gotten some um, good wisdom, I think, through the years. But we are on this journey just like the rest of you. There's a lot of jokes that's been made about marriage uh, through the years. The guy who bragged that he'd had 50 years of great marriage, but it took him five wives to have it. <laughs> or how many of you remember George Burns from years gone by? George used to say the most, or he said, uh, if you really wanted to have 50 good years of marriage, you had to have 100 years of marriage to get 50 good years. <laughs> And uh, this particular phrase, I think, is pretty telling. The most difficult years of marriage are the ones following the wedding. <laughs> yeah, I'll think about that one a little bit. Marriage can get complicated. It, it can get messy. And, and we go into marriage with all these dreams, and we're just... Uh, so starry-eyed, and yet some of us have had some pretty sad stories. Um, I went years ago with a friend of mine to her day in court where her marriage was dissolved, and it was one of the saddest experiences I've ever encountered. I remember watching her on one side of the court, and he is on the other, and the gavel is struck, and the marriage is ended. She walked across to him, gave him a photo album of 11 years of marriage with two children, and he acknowledged it, and that was the end of the story. The funny thing is, just because you dissolve a marriage, it's not like an etch-a-sketch. You don't get to just erase the hurt. And I know she walked out of that building, and she was untied, 
now from the one that she was bound to in the past, but that didn't lessen the hurt for her or for him or for the family members. What I witnessed was one of those what they call irreconcilable differences. Um, it wasn't a marriage that was dissolved because of the three A's that so often end a marriage of abuse or addiction or adultery. It was just that two people decided there was no way on God's green earth they could live together. I um, talked to her several times afterwards through the years, and, and this was always her comment. I still love him. Still love him. There's going to be marriages today that are, <laughs> like Rainy and I, we, we just feel so blessed that we've had 40 years of really good marriage. It doesn't mean there hasn't been some hard things, but we've had 40 years of good marriage. There's going to be others here today that even though we're sitting here in a church and in a Christian community, there's going to be some of you that felt, this isn't really what I signed up for. This has been a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Some of you have been married for a lot of years. And while you would never think of unplugging the marriage, there have been times that you just kind of go, oh, well, this is how it is. It's not going to get any better than this. I can make it work. But we kind of pull away from our investment, and it just um, is not what we were hoping it would be. I'm going to, we're, I want Randy to have plenty of time to talk to, because he does this much more than I do on marriage. Um, I'm going to give the one truth that I think everybody has to come to face-to-face -face with in a marriage situation. I don't mean it smart-alecky. I don't mean it to sound like um, I'm talking to a bunch of little children when I say this. I mean this with all humility, and it's going to sound so ridiculously simple, you're going to go, really? But here it is. If you're struggling in a marriage and it is not what you want it to be, here's the thing. There comes a time when you have to face the fact we have to grow up. Marriage is for grown-ups. It is not for children, adult children, people that refuse to grow up. There's a reason besides the obvious ones that children do not get married. <laughs> you know, um, my uh, mother-in-law has often said about our youngest one who is now 29 years old, <clears throat> well, of course Megan is happy. Her whole life she's thought the world was all about her and she was the center of the universe. And Megan always kind of was that way. I mean, she loved life, but... That shows what we are as children. We're very self-centered people. And as winsome and as charming as children are, they still pout and they whine and they complain and they bite and they throw temper tantrums. They could never make it married. And so I think there's a time when we as individuals and, and we have pointed the finger at our spouse for so long and nothing is changing. 
you finally have to come to a place where you take personal responsibility and you have to have an inventory of your own maturity. You have to look deep inside of yourself and go, where am I still childish? Why am I not grown up in this area? Here's the reasoning I come from in all of this. Um, if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, um, Paul is addressing uh, the church at Corinth there. And when you begin that letter, you find very quickly that that letter that he writes to them is just laced with disappointment and even rebuke. When you begin with the first chapter, you find that there's a lot of division going on in the church. And and it's some groups of people around Apollos. And no, I like... I like Peter better, and no, I like Paul. And it was almost like, I am Cephas, I am Paul, I am Peter, rah, rah, rah. I mean, it was almost that type of a cliquish feel. And I can imagine what the division felt like. I mean, just kind of picture our own political campaigns these days, and I think you probably get a picture of the rivalry that was going on in the church. And so Paul, when he addresses the church, is saying to them, this is his words. I couldn't come to you as adults, basically, is what he says. I had to come to you as if you were still infants. I had to feed you spiritual milk, not real food, because you refused to grow up. It was causing such incredible disunity in the church and and in fact the rest of the book is just a litany of things they were doing that were just childish they'd never grown up and and so when he says this is what can happen in the church this is the disunity that can happen in the church i just got to thinking oh my word what does childish behavior then do in a marriage such disunity that it causes in a marriage Oh, people, this uh, coming to Ozark has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, but I got to tell you, I hear some sad stories. We have kids that come into our offices, and, and this is a comment I often hear made by a young person who's trying to deal with issues that they're bringing even from home. And they'll say something like, I thought my family was normal. I mean, that's all I ever knew. Until I've come now and I've learned what it means to be in biblical family, to be in a biblical marriage, and I realize my parents are so far off. My family wasn't normal. My family was incredibly dysfunctional, they'll say. I had one girl just this week that was telling me how she feels like she's the parent in the family. And she's having to tell mom and dad how you should live and how you should have marriage. And when I listened to her story, she was absolutely right. She comes from a mess. We had an, I had, I guess they were at the house the other day. We had another couple and they're such sweet people. They really are. But they're just immature. And, and rightfully so. They're young and they're growing up in their marriage, but... She's upset because she comes home from work and 
and he's been home all day and he hadn't done a thing, in her opinion. And he's tired of hearing the nagging every time she comes home from work. And they come into our, our home, and I mean, this is basically what they're saying, we're tired of playing house. I thought this was going to be fun, but this isn't fun. And I'm not sure I even want this. They're already saying that. And I wished it was just young people and they finally grow up, but it's not. You know, I, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. <laughs> but Randy and I, this is several years ago that um, it's on me is why I'm embarrassed to tell you. Um, we came home, and I was kind of upset. There's no doubt about it. And it was over something so ridiculous, and, and I, I think I just let it built up. And so we pulled into the driveway, and Randy turns to me, and he said, you're going to have to tell me what you're upset about. And I had that wonderful response we women usually have. There's, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. And finally, we had to have a discussion there. And I'm not saying that he was perfectly in the right. I was right. <laughs> I was right. But it was one of those times after I got over the anger, because this is what he said to me. I feel like I'm living with so-and-so. And that was the topper, because he knows how much I don't want to be like that person. And I was angry about it. But it was also one of those times when I allowed myself to finally face the fact that I was showing such incredibly childish behavior. And it was, again, one of those turning points, I think, in our own marriage where I go, you know what? This isn't worth it. This disunity, Julie, it's time to grow up. <laughs> and it's been so helpful to me, even though it was a hard situation to deal with. My own father, I got to tell this story. My own dad's 94 years old. He's John Wayne. If he's John he Wayne. He's a little John Wayne, but Short that's who version, he is. But he's John Wayne. And, uh, this is dad's attitude on so many things. When you go to his house, he has the remote for the TV in his hand. And we spend all of our time while we're there in the evening surfing through the channels. Whatever he wants to watch, that's what we watch. And I said, I'll say to him, especially when it's just he and I there, Dad, wouldn't you like to watch whatever it is? And he said, well, this is my house. We'll watch what I want to watch. <laughs> and he'll have a twinkle in his he's, eye. There's no laughing. doubt about it. When he comes to our house, he grabs the remote. And he will say, well, I'm the guest. <laughs> so I should get to watch what I want. And I laugh about that, but you know what? I love my dad. But there was times when that selfish behavior was not so funny. And I remember times when it hurt my mom. 
we can offer some help, I hope. I know last night Randy had a great time with you, with you all that were there at the seminar. And you can go home and you can read one of a hundred books, hundreds and hundreds of books written on marriage. And, and there'll be things you can grab out of those and, and it'll really help you. You really can. But this is the starting place. You have to grow up. It's time to quit being childish. There comes a time um, when you just have to look at yourself and you go, you know what? These lines I've always used, a, a guy can use the line, well, you know, I provide for this family. I work all the time, so if I want to go hunt, if I want to go do whatever it is, then that's my business, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And a woman can be just as destructive, but, I mean, you know, it isn't hard to cut a man down to size. It's, you can just do it by a thousand little paper cuts, just little smart aleck remarks, just snippy, just, just little sarcastic things that we say, and we can get in such a habit of them, we don't even know what we're doing. It, it, it's just so much who we become a part of. I want to challenge you to go home today. There are passages called the bear with one another or the one another passages, I should say. There's 59 of them in the New Testament. They are written to the church for how church people are supposed to respond to one another. But I think it would be awesome if you would go home and find those passages and just put them on the bathroom mirror, not for your spouse, but for you. I, I want to just read through some of these. And remember, they're written for the church. They're not written for marriage. But what if we put them into our marriage? Be at peace with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. It is not your job to determine if your spouse is guilty or not. It is your job to live at peace with your spouse. Wash one another's feet. I don't expect we need to go home and make her sit in the bathroom and you wash her feet. But what extraordinary thing could you do in humble service towards your spouse that has not been done in a long time? Because we get to where we just take one another for granted. What could you do, ladies, for your husband? that is outside the norm. Accept one another. Serve one another. It says this, if you keep on biting and devouring each, and each other, you will be destroyed by each other. How many of you ever walked into those homes where the tension is so thick, it just, it, you can just almost cut it with a knife? That's not a way to live. And you can get used to it, but it is so destructive, especially for your children. How do you love? That's the question. It's not so much, guys, about having the knowledge of when to give the flowers to your gal. It's, 
It's not letting him have his hunting season without griping. It's not really about learning the tricks of the trade. It's recognizing the self-centeredness I have in my own weak flesh and finally deciding that it is not going to take center stage in our marriage anymore. I'm going to face the fact that there are areas of my life that I must grow up for the sake of this marriage. Did you know the Hebrew word, I'm not even going to pronounce, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled O-H-A-V. That is the Hebrew word for love. It does not mean what we usually would assume love means. This is what it means from the Hebrew. I give to you. So if we would just begin to base our love on that one statement or that one definition, I give to you, what a difference it would make. Because so much of our love is defined by what we get from our spouse. But if we could begin to define our love by what I willfully, unconditionally, pleasurably give to you, what a difference it could make. Everybody, everybody is born with the instinctive desire to love and be loved. That's instinctive. Same way whales migrate across the ocean without markers. That's instincts God put within them. I grew up on a, on a cow-calf operation. I'm still blown away when I see a calf born, and that calf knows how to stand on those four wobbly sticks of legs. And somehow it goes to, knows to go hunt for milk. It's never tasted, seen, can't imagine. And instinctively it knows there's an udder somewhere. And that cow begin, or that calf begins to bump a forehead trying to find an udder. There's an instinct that is there. Everybody is born with the instinctive desire to love and be loved. Be you saint or scoundrel. Go to the deepest prison. They want to love their mother. They want to love their kids. They want to love their spouse. But the problem is that the, while the desire to love is instinctive, and everybody here in the room has it, the ability to love is not instinctive. The ability to love depends upon character. It depends upon wholeness. It depends on having enough of the reflection and the image of God in your own life, that when you reach into your character, and I kind of reach back here for backbone, because quite frankly, we all recognize there's a little difference in the metaphor between reaching in my heart and reaching into my character. I reach into my backbone for my character. I reach into my heart for my emotions, at least as we do in this culture. And love requires that you be able to reach into your character and pull out the things that love requires. And love makes demands on you that only grown-ups can do. Love requires you be patient when you do want to be patient. Love requires that you be courageous in a conversation when you wanted to just duck and run or, or, or hide from the conversation. Love requires that you be forgiving. Love requires that you say no word when words come so quickly to you. Love requires you to be grown up. Many of you in this room have deep hurts. Let me go back to your childhood. Some of you, now, your dad wanted to love you. Your dad didn't look at you and go, you were just 
an absolute irritation to him that he could care nothing about. Your dad wanted to love you. Your dad cried himself to sleep at different times. Tears in his eyes, on his pillow. He wanted to love you. You were not worthless to him. You were not a throwaway. You were not a mistake. Your dad wanted to love you. But the problem was when your dad reached into his life for his character to live out the things that love required, he kept coming out empty-handed. And he got more and more frustrated, and he didn't know what to do with his frustration. And at first he blamed himself, and then you can't blame yourself forever. Eventually start blaming somebody else for why you can't. And so your dad turned on you, and so now your dad picked you to death. Now your dad did this, but you need to know it was never because you were a throwaway kid. It was because love makes demands on us that if you don't have the character to live it out, you're just frustrated. It's like like drilling a well out here for oil or water, but you hit a dry hole. There are those of you in marriages, you want to love your spouse. But what you've discovered is there's not enough personal wholeness. You've signed a check, you're having trouble cashing. One of the great things that makes you have to do in great marriages is you have to worship and pursue the living God till you come to enough wholeness to love somebody else. There's women in this room ought to turn to a husband and say, man, I've nitpicked you to death. I have pouted you to death. I have, I've done the paper cuts. That she did. I, truth is, I blamed you for why you didn't walk on eggs good enough around me when I was discouraged or I was mad or I was hurt or job or whatever the case may be or you didn't give me everything I thought I wanted. Sweetheart, owe you an apology. I've got growing up I need to do. Would you pray for me? Would you let Would you let my repentance be the start of a journey where I need to grow up? I need godly people in my life, but I need the Lord to heal me emotionally. I need to grow up. Anybody can justify your immaturity. Everybody can justify your immaturity. I wouldn't think this way if it weren't for you. I wouldn't react this way if it weren't for them. I wouldn't be, but at some point in time, all of that nonsense drops away, and you decide it's time to grow up. You know the sweetest marriages are people who decide, I'm going to be quick to repent. I'm going to chase after the heart of God, and I'm going to grow up. Julie's spot on. Good marriages come from flawed people who humble themselves enough to grow up. Nobody here on the face of the earth married a princess. They may act like it. They may think they are. Everybody here, every woman in this room, if it were not for the grace of Christ, would not see one ounce of heaven. Every woman in this room who got married and every woman in this room who will get married, you will marry a doofus, okay? Every guy at some level is half brain dead, okay? Just, we just are. And if it weren't for the grace of God, we wouldn't see one ounce of heaven. So here are two flawed people who go home And they can either turn on each other bit by bit, little bit by little bit, or two people can say, I know grace is needed in your life, and I know grace is needed in mine, but I want to grow up. I want to be what Christ made me to be, and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take about 12 minutes, 10 minutes, something along that line. I don't know how long. What time do they serve lunch here? I can't remember. Can I 
I want to challenge something that, that you have grown up as a culture on why we love who we love. You see, we can talk about duty, and you're sort of hearing duty in this. You know, you need to grow up and serve your mate, and you need to give to your mate. And, and everybody kind of understands we could follow that road, but somewhere in the back of your mind's going, but I want to feel in love. I still want the bluebirds to sing like they do on a Disney movie. I still want to have this little... I don't know. I want to have my heart sing. I want to feel in love. And if marriage is so stinking much work that you've got to serve them and grow up and all that kind of stuff, and boy, that's slavery. Maybe Christian slavery, but it's still slavery. I want to hit a little point in here, and I want, you to, I want you to hear me. I want you to lean in on this. I don't care how old you are or young you are. I want you to lean in on this. There are three systems that exist in our culture for why we love who we love. The same way you see models of cars on a road, okay? Well, there's three models for love. And these are the three belief systems for why, why would Julie love me after 40 years of marriage? Here are the three systems. System number one basically says, if she treats me well enough, I can't help but love her back. That love is a little bit like a magnetic response, that if she treats me well enough, I'm just in love. So she's wonderful, and she's terrific, and she's awesome, and we dated, and, and, and she just she put little notes under the, you know, the, the windshield, you know, wiper of my car, and, and, and she was so thoughtful, and, and, and life is wonderful. Well, of course I have to love Julie. She's just so terrific, and she meets my needs. So we're married. And I look up one day, and I'm not deeply in love with her anymore. She's getting kind of dull, kind of boring. I've heard the same stories over and over again. I don't like some of the ways that she stumbles. And if you'd start meeting my needs better, I'd be deeper in love with you. That's system number one. It's a one to three year marriage. It may last 50 years, but there's about 25 to 30% of all American marriages basically believe I'm not as deeply in love with you as I'd like to be because it's your fault. You're not measuring up. If you'd straighten up and fly right, I'd be more in love with you. It's not a biblical marriage and doesn't work. Eventually, what it does is it absolutely falls apart. Some of you in this room may be dating. I'm glad you're dating somebody who you go, wow, they really meet my needs and feel wonderful. But you need to know that is a dead-end road. It will not last. It cannot last. We're all too flawed. And it's selfish-centered, no matter how much Hallmark cards I use with it. It's, it's, it won't work. Here's the second system of love. The second system of love is more mysterious. It just simply says, ooh, wow. We're compatible. We have common interests. She likes what I like. I like what she... Okay, I like a lot of the things she likes. <laughs> it means our personalities are right. Boy, you put the right two chemicals together in chemistry and poof, fire and smoke. And, I mean, you go, the chemistry was right. You put the wrong two together and it just kind of lays there. And you go, our chemistry is right. The system actually says, I love you because of who you are. That's terrific, except it's a five-year, five-day-year marriage. Here's why. We all change. Julie married a, a guy who was 21, and I was a particular personality type. I'm 62 years old now. 
I am a million miles from that, that, that kid. Well, if she loved me because of who I was, what, do, what does she do when I change slightly through the years? There's a whole long story I'd love to give you on this. There's just not time. I can't tell you how many couples I've chased down through life who said, you know, hold this marriage together. Please let us work with you. Don't walk out on him on the kids. Don't take the kids and walk out. Don't move to St. Louis. Don't go to Kansas City. Don't do this. And they will say things like, he's changed. He's changed. I loved him back when he was this, but he's changed. Or maybe I get the other side. I've outgrown him. I've changed and he hasn't changed. We were 20-some-year-old kids when we got married and now then, I, and he, he, we've changed. It does not work. You see, the first one basically says, I'll be in love with you as long as you meet my needs. Well, nobody can meet your needs well enough. The second one says, I'll be in love with you as long as you're someone I like. Well, what happens when life comes? God has a, a twinkle in his eye. You, know when, you want to know how he designed you? Do you know how your heart works? If you think you're in love with your spouse or going to be in love with your spouse because the chemistry is right or because they meet your needs, you are in for a train wreck. No, God ties it back to this Hebrew word. He ties it back to lots of other things. This isn't fair, but I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm watching the clock. Again, I ignore it, but I'm going to watch it. You did say Josh, didn't you? I need a story. Josh, you had your hand up first. I'm, I'm joking. He, Josh did not have his hand up, I promise. I want to make up a story. Josh, cut me some slack on this. So uh, this is my story I'm making up, imposing on Josh, okay? Um, here, how's the human heart work? So this mongrel dog running around Josh's neighborhood. This dog has is, is got mange. That dog is ugly. That nothing cute about that dog. Not a single thing. And Josh can't stand the dog. The Josh, is, the, this dog's hanging around at his house, and, and, and it's driving him crazy, and he can't, he, he ignores it. And the dog doesn't go away. He throws rocks at it. He chunks rocks trying to get this dog to leave, and the dog won't leave. Has no affection for the dog. So Josh goes in, and he picks up the phone, and he calls the local animal control officer. Now, again, I know, take all stories, cut me a little slack. He calls the animal control officer and said, hey, I got this mangy dog I don't like. It's in my yard. It won't leave in my yard. Would you come get the dog? Well, he knows what it means. They're going to come catch this dog. They're going to take it, and they're going to go kill it eventually. I mean, that's what's going to happen to a mangy, ugly dog. But it's settled. They say, absolutely, Josh, we'll be glad to come and do that, but we've got a man on vacation. Truck broke down. It'll be a day or two before we get there, but we'll do it. So now the issue's settled. Somebody's going to keep the dog and get it gone. And it's great because he could care less than about the dog. Well, let's make this February. And so he looks out and hears it's cold and that dog is out there laying under that bare lilac bush and hadn't had anything to eat. And Josh hadn't fed it because he didn't want it hanging around, but nothing should starve to death. So what does Josh do with the scraps off the night's plate? Because now he can feed it. It's okay for it to stay a little bit. So it's all right. So he takes the scraps off the plate and he goes out there and he says, there you stupid dog, if you want to, there's, there's some food. Because he's got enough human compassion, nothing should starve. And what's he do with tomorrow morning's breakfast? Leftovers, the egg. Here, dog. 
It's February, and one of those cold ice storms moves in. I mean, it's blowing a little rain, and it's freezing on everything, and that dog's under that bare lilac bush, and Josh has enough human compassion. Nothing should die in her lilac bush. And so Josh opens up the old mower shed that's got a little hay in the bottom, you know, the bottom of that shed and says, there, you stupid dog. If you want to get in and out of the, the ice, it's okay. And, and so the dog, he kind of goes in the shed and lays down. And Sure enough, animal control officer comes by three, four days later, five days later, but it's too late. Josh has already caught the dog, taken it to the vet, spent $258 on it, and named it Bob. And when the dog dies four years later, Josh cries like a baby. Now, I've told a silly little story. I understand that. But, but wait a second. Let's, well, what happened? You can see on Monday of last week, Josh couldn't stand the dog, had no affection for it whatsoever. And on Monday of the next week, he spent the money and is named it Bob. What, 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 what happened? Did the dog change? No, not one ounce. What changed? His behavior changed. His behavior changed. There's a principle about the human heart that God has designed that I want you to hear me very, very well on this. We could point it out a dozen different ways. I could point it out in in, in other avenues of life. Why do mamas love their babies or any other thing we want to go through? The principle is found in Galatians 5. The principle is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the easiest way to say it. Jesus said about the human heart, where your investment is, there will your heart be also. Here's how God designed us. My human heart is not attached to people who meet my needs really, really well because selfishness can still come out of that. My human heart is not attached to people that I happen to really, really like because eventually I get my feelings hurt. You said something. I pouted. You pouted. I didn't like how you reacted to my reaction, and and that doesn't work. The human heart is attached when you look most like God, when you most walk in his steps, God winks and nudges the angels and says, watch this. The same way gravity works, the same way centrifugal force works, here's another force of nature I put in. You will love who you serve. Oh, it didn't mean you won't cry, it didn't mean you won't get your heart broke, but you will love and you will care. Years ago, when I would get into marriage counseling and somebody's coming in and going, man, our marriage has fallen down and I don't really love my husband all that much because look how poorly he treats me and look how poorly he is. And, and if you could get my husband back up high like he used to be, my love would come back and I could love him. And I'd run out the door and I'd go down to the welding shop and I'd say, man, you're going to lose your wife. You're going to lose your kids. You need to straighten up. And man, I could get him to fly back a little better because he would wake up. And then I would say, go, wow, I saved another marriage today. Never did. Here's why. Because her love for him did not bounce back. She would say things like, well, if, I guess if he'd have done it six months ago, must be too late. You see, I missed a key principle. The principle was her being in love with him doesn't have a lot to do with him. It has a great deal to do that she got her feelings hurt and she stopped investing in him and she began to lean back and protect herself and her heart went cold. Do you want to know why some of you have trouble loving a stepbrother? Give me all the litany things of why this stepbrother is hard to love. I understand that, and he may be really hard to love. But you want to know why your heart is not attached? You've not served him. You want to know why some men in this room are roommates with your wife? 
Well, you can tell me all the reasons wrong with your wife, but ultimately, here's what it comes down to. That when you decide, as an act of worship, I meet the Lord every morning, and today, Lord, I'm going to pour my life into her life, God winks, nudges the angels, and says, watch what happens. Because when you begin, on my behalf, to serve somebody, your heart follows. They talk about mamas, why they love their babies. They bond to them. Truth is, mamas carry their babies. They throw up for three or four months for them. They go through all kinds of labor. They bring this little colicky kid home and walk the hallways, and they sing over a sick child, and they hold this babies. And why do mamas love their babies? Because where your investment is, there your heart will be. And do you want to know the mamas that struggle loving their babies? They're the mamas who caught the baby, and this is my baby, but... Here, Grandma, you take care of the baby. Or here, somebody else. I want to still keep running my life. And she's still out running around in the evenings. And she's still got a baby. But nobody can figure out why she doesn't really love her baby. Here's why. She violated a basic human principle. Where your investment is, that your heart will be. Do you know why Julie loves me? That's a real wonder sometimes, too. It is not because I am so magnanimous. It is not because I'm so funny. It's not because I don't. I'm dull as a brown paper sack. I repeat the same stories over and over again. I have the ways I walk across the room that if you were married to me would just irritate the soup out of you just the way you walk, the way I cough, the way I breathe, the way I... I mean, all of us can be... Get, we, we just get so irritated at one another. How can I spend one more thought of a year with this person Everywhere! And yet, good marriages go deeper and deeper in love. Why? Because where the investment is. So you show me an old woman who's looking after an old man. As her act of worship, I'm going to look after this man. Oh, he's got flaws. I know him. I could list him if I want to, but that's not all that helpful. He's got blind spots. I know that. It's not all that helpful. But I'm going to take good care of this man. I want God to say he was well taken care of by a woman today. And the reward for that woman is that she will be in love, deeply in love with an old man. And when a man gets up in the morning and says, yes, I know my wife is not wired like I am. She doesn't think like I am. She doesn't walk, talk, behave like I do. And that can either drive me crazy today or I'm going to serve my wife. What does she need emotionally? What does she need from somebody who's taking the journey of life with her? What can I do to pour my life into her? And God winks and says, watch this. You're going to be deeply in love with a woman. And it will grow deeper. When you see the old man and old woman whose marriage you admire, it is always because here is a man who's treating her respectfully and with dignity and with honor. And he's thoughtful and he loves her because of that. And she knows all his flaws, but she treats him well. You see, only grown-ups can do this. That's where all marriages come from. I'm going to tell you, those of you that are dating, and, and I need to, need to quit. Those of you that are dating or will be dating, I want you to date the people with the strongest character you know. Because to love you is going to require a lot of character the rest of their life. <laughs> And then I want you to find the person with the strongest character and you begin to pour your life into them and you will grow deeply in love. 
I said this last night, and I'll quit with this. This is a repeat. Every couple that has ever stood here and held hands, the man standing here and the girl standing here, they had a hope. A hope we can go home and be safe and joyful and laugh and have a blast and share life. But every couple that stood here, I think what he really should have said was this. Heavenly Father, I think I love her, but how do you know on these things? But Heavenly Father, I do know I love you. And out of love for you, Heavenly Father, you brought her into the world and you'll take her out. And until the day you do, I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to invest my life into this woman. Whether she lives high or low, I'm going to invest and pour my life into this woman. And the girl stands here and says, I think I love him, but how do you know on this? And Heavenly Father, I don't know what, I'm, I don't know what life with him will be like. I think I love him, but how do you know? But Heavenly Father, I know I love you. And so, Heavenly Father, you brought him into the world. You redeemed him. You put your spirit in him. You're the one who's bring. let me partner with you. Can I, every single day, today I, I want to pour my life into him. And as those two hold hands and go down the aisle, I said it a minute ago, God winks and nudges the angels and says, watch this. A flawed little girl and a flawed little boy will get a taste of heaven in a good marriage because where your investment is, there will your heart be also. God bless.